Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for November 2nd, 2017. On today's show, we're going to be talking about a bunch of news, including a Twilight Zone reboot from Jordan Peele, Shazam casting, the Orville gets a second season, the future of Star Wars films, some theme park news, including Fast and the Furious Supercharged and Pixar Pier in Anaheim, and in the mailbag, we'll be talking about our favorite TV series of the last five years. This is Peter Soretta, and joining me on today's podcast is Slash Film writer Chris Evangelista. Hello. And Slash Film Managing Editor, Jacob Hall. Hello, hello. Uh, guys, we have a bunch of news to get to before we get to the mailbag. So should we get to that? But uh, I should mention, last night I saw Justice League. Um, and unfortunately, that's all I can say. So yeah, <laughs> it's, very un- it's very unfortunate for everybody listening. <laughs> yeah, that happened. So uh, hopefully at some point I'll be able to talk about that. Um, Peter Threader, you'll braggart you. Yeah. Um, well, they said I could say that, so I'm saying it. There. <laughs> um, okay, into the news. Uh, this bit of news just hit The Wire's Twilight Zone is getting a reboot coming to CBS All Access from Get Out director Jordan Peele. Chris, what do we know about this? All right, so yeah, this, the story says Jordan Peele is going to be involved with the Twilight Zone reboot, but it also says that Marco Ramirez, who's worked for uh, Daredevil and the Defenders, is actually going to be writing and serving as the showrunner, which is a little disappointing. I was, I was personally, when I saw the news break, I was personally hoping that Jordan Peele would be more involved with the project, but just him being involved at all is, uh, is good news because he directed, of course, Get Out earlier this year, and that film was both a genre film that also deal, dealt with social issues, which is also pretty much what The Twilight Zone was for years. Um, a lot of people seem to remember it as just this sort of sci-fi horror show, but it had much deeper uh, meanings for a lot of its episodes. So it, it, it's a really good match. Yeah, and, and, and uh, anthology series seem to be on the rise with Black Mirror. Uh, this is coming to CBS All Access. It seems like CBS is putting a lot of money invested in their streaming service uh i know neither of you are subscribed but will twilight zone be enough to make you a subscriber for this new uh streaming service 
Yeah, de- definitely. Um, yeah, I'm not a huge like Star Trek fan, so I didn't join it for that. But I, I think I would definitely join for this. How about you, Jacob? Man, I grew up watching Twilight Zone reruns on a loop on the Sci-Fi Channel. I've seen every episode several times. This is this is my jam, and I think that if any if there was ever a better match between such uh, subject matter and artists and Jordan Peele and Twilight Zone, even with a different showrunner involved. I can't think of it. So, yeah, if they can get enough stuff like this on at the same time, then, yeah, I'll subscribe. But I won't do my plan, which is to subscribe for one month, watch everything, and then stop. So, CBS, you're on the right track. Just keep it going. You know what CBS needs to do? They need to to follow the movie uh, pass model and make a stipulation in there that you can't cancel. Or, I mean, if you cancel, you can't resubscribe for a whole year. That'll teach those customers who want who wanna <laughs> give give them money. Um, yes. All uh, people have been doing that with HBO for years, subscribing for their favorite shows and unsubscribing, and it hasn't hurt them. So maybe learn from people who have some of the biggest shows on television. Yes. Uh, also in the news is uh, some some casting for Shazam. They have found a villain in Mark Strong. You wrote this up for the site, Jacob. So tell us more about this villain. Well, I really want. I quickly want to start with a joke that you made, Peter, that I really enjoyed, which was about every few years. Mark Strong gets cast in a villain villain role in a major Hollywood movie. Every few years, that movie disappoints us. So hopefully this won't repeat again. Uh, but you know Mark Strong because he was in Kingsman. He was in Sherlock Holmes. He was in Tinker Taylor's Soldier Spy. English actor, shaved head, uh, sort of an angular face that's very good for villainous roles, even though he can play warm and gentle and has in the past. But The Hollywood Reporter notes that... Uh, Director David F. Sandberg and Warner Brothers want to make use of his villainous traits in Shazam, where he'll be playing Dr. Sivana. And Dr. Sivana is not a household uh, villain, household villain like uh, the Joker or Lex Luthor or the Penguin or the Riddler, any, any most of the Batman villains even. He is uh, one of Shazam's oldest villains, though. He debuted in 1940. He's a mad scientist. You've seen, you've seen him before. He's always depicted as this sort of short, skinny, bald guy with big goggles and a, a white coat with a collar that goes way high up his neck. He sort of he sort of invented the classic mad scientist look we've seen in a lot of comic books and a lot of cartoons. Uh, but in recent years, in uh, DC Comics, he sort of reinvented him to be a bit more of a tragic figure, a respected scientist who starts dabbling with magic when science can't help him uh, with some serious family problems. I'll leave it at that. And opens the door to all kinds of bad stuff and evil and so i think that's probably the direction we'll see in this movie i don't think you cast mark strong in a movie being made in 2018 to play dr savannah as he was originally depicted in early old school golden age comics i think we're going to see this sort of tragic figure that he's become and you can definitely see even mark strong looks like how he's drawn now this sort of handsome bald um striking doctor who like walks into a room and commands everybody's respect, whereas old school Savannah is this shrimpy little dude who is just sort of a, a cartoon villain who exists just to be evil and do bad things for the sake of bad things. Mm-hmm. So I think we're going to see this character kind of reinvented and sort of refocused through a modern lens. Um, but the one thing I, I do hope they maintain is that since uh, Shazam himself uh, is actually Billy Batson, a young boy who turns into a superhero who looks like an adult, I'm hoping that Mark Strong can provide the contrast because it's always it's always been fun to see his pure evil figure go up against uh, such an innocent pure figure 
Uh, so I'm curious if you guys have any opinions on Mark Strong, on Dr. Savannah, or is this all news to you? Because I know Shazam's rogues gallery isn't exactly bursting with appeal. I mean, for me, I'm not a big Shazam uh, fan. So th- th- this really is news for me. I, I, I don't really know much about the character. Uh, but uh, Mark Strong getting cast in the villain role, as I, I said in the Slack channel, is uh, c- kind of worries me about the project because I, I feel <laughs> like... Uh, you know, I've been saying for the longest time, we'll know if the next James Bond movie is bad if Mark Strong is the cast as the villain in it. He's uh, such a good actor, though. It he, drives me crazy that it's happened. Oh, and he's good. He's great in bad movies, but he is just, I don't know. It, it, maybe it's maybe it's that he's, the choice of him as a villain is so obvious and so easy that someone that would make that choice maybe doesn't usually make the best movie. I like David F. Sandberg's last two movies, uh, Lights Out and Annabelle Creation. This is his first non-horror feature. And I think he's got chops. I'm really curious to see how this looks, Um, especially since Shazam is such a lighthearted character to have a guy who made Annabelle Creation, which is really good. Well, I thought it was really really good. But also, like, really dark and mean, (laughs) like, making this movie such an interesting turn. Uh, Chris, do you have any opinions on this? I mean, I'm I'm not very well versed in the character. I'm wondering how uh, the Rock fits into all this because they're making the you know the Black Adam movie, and it's weird that it's just really weird to me that they're making the Shazam Kent movie and the Black Adam movie side by side. It's sort of like if they made like the first Batman and then a Joker movie side by side. It's really like weird that they're doing that, but I guess it's they're trying something new. Well, you know what, Chris? Yeah, they, they are actually doing just that. They are making a Batman movie and a Joker movie side by side. That's that's true, but this isn't like, <laughs> this isn't like the first time they're making a Batman movie, whereas this is the first time they're making a Shazam movie, and it's sort of like they're not even giving him a chance to do his own thing. Like He's already has to compete with his, his villains movie. Oh, it's sure. weird because Black Adam is the most famous Shazam villain at this point, and he is more of an anti-hero now. He sort of makes his own way in the DC universe, picks his fights and sides based on whatever's going on in his life at that moment. But it is odd, especially since in recent comics, uh, Dr. Savannah and Black Adam, sort of their new origin story is kind of tied together. Dr. Savannah unlocks Black Adam and releases him upon the world again. So I, I, wouldn't, I don't think they're going to be in the same movie. But um, I think it's a missed opportunity not to have Black Adam make his debut in Shazam. At least that's the impression I'm getting from this. But we need to move on because we've got a lot of news. Uh, ben Pearson wrote up for the site that Seth MacFarlane's The Orville has been renewed for a second season. Uh, now, I have only seen the first episode of this show, and I was not impressed. It seemed um, it seemed like he wanted to do Star Trek more than he wanted to do a comedy, but it was being marketed as a comedy and the result was kind of like a poor man's uh galaxy quest which uh makes it sound better than it was uh but since that first uh episode the pilot episode it has gotten uh, quite a fan base uh and uh i guess that fan base is, is enough for fox to renew it for a second season uh ben in this article goes on to theorize that fox is just trying to keep uh mcfarlane happy who, uh, you know, McFarlane has provided them with, you know, truckloads and truckloads of money. So uh, to give him a, a second season and give it a chance. Uh, but um, ha- have either of you seen the Orville? I have not. Uh, but anecdotally, um, <laughs> my mother 
old school Star Trek fan, raised me on the original series, watched all the shows and all the movies, and ingrained that into me. Watches the show, has no idea who Seth MacFarlane is, has never seen Family Guy, and loves it. So I, I wonder if that's the audience. Um, slightly older Star Trek fans with less discerning taste. I, mean, I love my mom, but I, I, I do. I think maybe she's who's watching this movie. I do know a lot of people that like this show say it's like, you know, Star Trek The Next Generation kind of like. And it, they're saying it's, to them, better than the Star Trek Discovery series that's on CBS uh, All Access. So um, apparently there is uh, a fan base for this show. And, uh, you know, it's going to go on to second season. So we'll see uh, We'll see if that builds up in the ratings and continues on. Uh, but let's move on from Star Trek to Star Wars. Uh, Chris, you wrote up this article about uh, Kathleen Kennedy had a new quote about how the next decade of Star Wars movies are being planned right now. What did she say? Right. Well, first and foremost, I want to say I saw two different people call this story clickbait, which I'm very confused about because it's literally what Kathleen Kennedy says in the video where it's a video with, it's called, the show is called like Star Wars, the Star Wars show it's called. Yeah. It's a YouTube show. And in the video, Kathleen Kennedy basically talks about how right now they're planning the next 10 years of Star Wars films. Like, like that's an actual quote she says. And she's basically saying, you know, after episode nine comes out, the film after The Last Jedi, they still have ideas for all the all the new characters. Yeah, no, I, I think that's probably the the most interesting bit about that is because I, I think a lot of people assume that after episode nine happened that, you know, this Star Wars saga films, you know, with Ray, Finn, Poe, that maybe they would be taking a break because this would be the end of a trilogy. But she clearly says that they have ideas to take those characters further. And th- that to me sounds like, you know, an episode 10 is not going to be, you know five years down the line, but, you know, maybe just two or three years down the line from uh, episode nine. But it, it, it is interesting that it looks like they're, you know, continue on to do a mix of these Star Wars standalone stories and Star Wars, you know, Skywalker uh, saga episodes. And it, it seems like that's the plan for the foreseeable future. And I, I, I definitely see that, like, you know, Disney is making so much profit off releasing one of these Star Wars films a year. Uh, they're not going to stop that momentum. It's just going to k- keep up. Uh, but let's move on from Star Wars to theme parks. Uh, Fast and the Furious Supercharged is a new attraction that they're building in Universal Studios Orlando. In Universal Studios Hollywood, they have a. It's part of the tram tour. It's kind of like a a when you're on the tram tour, you you go into this building and it's it's. Kind of an you know attraction inside of an attraction, but in Orlando they're building it as their own ride, just as they they turned the King Kong 360 into its own ride in Orlando in, in Orlando at uh, Islands of Adventure uh, as Skull Island. Uh, Jacob, you wrote this up for the say. What what new details do we know of this uh, new Fast and the Furious ride? Uh, yeah, as you said, Universal Orlando has this lo- strong habit of taking uh, segments that are on the, the tram tour in Hollywood. And building down the full-fledged rides. This happens with Earthquake, Jaws, Confrontation, uh, the, the King Kong 360. So Supercharges lays in a long line of things. I feel like it was tested in Hollywood and then brought out here to be perfected. Um, but the basic gist of, of the ride and the new details is that 
you enter into the uh, the family HQ, the Fast and Furious uh, cast, you know, the place where everybody meets between heists and there'll be uh, rooms you can walk through with uh, cars on display and take your pictures with them and you can walk through uh, Tej's high-tech war room and see all his gadgets. And if you're wondering how this line system works, it's because they're once again using the uh, queueless ride system where instead of standing in a line, you book a time through a mobile app or at a kiosk on site. You can either wander the park and return when it's time, or you can go to the queue itself and explore and take pictures and interact with the environment and, and hang out and don't have to like, stand in line and moving and inching forward. This is thing I have mixed feelings on, but we'll get to that later maybe. The basic idea here is that um, you're hanging out with the family. You get invited to a party that requires you all to get on a big bus. And yes, the bus is your ride vehicle. And yes, um, uh, Luke Evans's character, Owen Shaw, decides to attack your bus, and that's the ride. And even though they're pitching this as a new story and new characters, and there are new characters, uh, Tej, who's not, who played by Ludacris, who is not in the original version in Hollywood, is in this version. And Jordana Brewster's Mia, who's not in the Hollywood version, is in this one. The rest of the cast, including uh, Luke Evans's Owen Shaw, uh, Tyrese Gibson, Michelle Rodriguez, Dwayne Johnson, Vin Diesel who all play major roles in the Hollywood version, are all back here. And the whole uh, Owen Shaw attacks your vehicle uh, setup is identical. So what I think we're seeing here is similar to what we saw with the Skull Island ride. They're taking the two-minute ride, ride segment from the tram tour and are building out into something longer. I think we'll see that same thing that we saw in Hollywood, the same uh, chase scene with a new beginning and a new end, maybe some new characters. So it won't be a whole new ride, but it'll be a bigger, louder, more extreme version of what people in Hollywood already saw. And I haven't actually done the Hollywood version. I haven't been to Universal Studios Hollywood since that happened. Uh, I know you have, Peter. Uh, what's your opinion on this? Is this actually worth expanding? Is it a cool ride? Um, you know what? It, it, it is extremely dumb, but it's fun. It, uh, it, it does what King Kong 360 does, where... Like it has these screens all uh, around the tram vehicle, and actually it does more than that because it goes in front of the tram vehicle. So you could actually be looking forward, and it it, it is kind of surrounding you in all sides, and you have three D glasses, and uh, you know it, it's like one of the most insane action sequences with things that you know someone's controlling a crane and someone jumps on the crane thing to get them. I don't know. It, it's just like very uh, ridiculous, and everything you expect want and hate about the fast and furious movies um uh, i don't know I'm, I'm interested to see where they take this ride because i actually think that the you know the skull island ride in islands adventure is far and away better than the king kong experience we have on the tram tour here so uh i'm excited to check this out although uh my my girlfriend Kitra is not a fan of the Fast and Furious films, and she she hates uh, that segment on the tram tour. So um, I'm not sure uh, when I'll get a chance to check it out, but maybe next time I'm in Orlando. Uh, but we should go from Orlando to Anaheim because Disneyland Resort uh, at D23 announced that they were going to be turning Paradise Pier and Disney California Adventure Park into Pixar Pier. So now we actually have learned the details of what this is going to entail. Uh, they have announced that it, it, it is going to debut on April 13th, 2018. Uh, it, that is when uh, Pixar Pier is going to have its grand opening. And basically they are going to turn that whole pier into four different neighborhoods themed around three Pixar movies, The Incredibles, Toy Story, Inside Out, in a fourth section, which will 
be, quote, a celebration of many of your favorite Pixar stories, uh, which basically means that they couldn't uh, theme it into one movie because it would be too hard for them to retheme that whole area. But, uh, yes, yeah, so basically uh, Scr- California Screaming, which is, you know, one of Disney's best roller coaster rides, uh, you know, is going to be turned into an Incredibles roller coaster called the Incredicoaster, which is a horrible name, but... Who cares? Uh, this California Screaming was always a good ride without a good theme. So uh, I'm excited for that. Toy Story Mania will remain and will be part of the Toy Story land. Uh, Inside Out uh, is going to have a new family-friendly attraction, which they didn't announce, but we think it's going to be a spinner ride. And you can see it kind of in the concept art, which we've posted on SlashFilm.com. Uh, Mickey's Fun Wheel will remain as Mickey's Fun Wheel because they don't, you know... Uh, that is such an iconic uh, – that's almost as much as the castle is iconic to Magic Kingdom and Disneyland is that fun wheel is you know iconic to Disney California Adventure Park. Uh, but the gondolas on the fun wheel will each be themed after characters from all the Pixar movies. And uh, for me, honestly, I know this isn't great for a movie podcast, but for me, uh, the, the most concerning, uh, disappointing, possibly uh, – Something that will make me angry announcement of this is that they're turning the Cove Bar, which is possibly the best uh, place to eat and drink in Disneyland Resort, into uh, they're turning Ariel's Grotto in the Cove Bar and they're going to retheme it into a new lounge and grill that they have not announced the theme for, but it's going to be something Pixar related. Uh, Cove Bar famously is like one of the only places in Disneyland Resort where you can actually, you know, has a full bar you can order you know themed cocktails it's one of the few places that adults can go and hang out and have fun and uh, i'm just worried that they're going to turn this into they're going to kidify this and you know we're not going to have a a place to go to uh to drink something other than you know the beers that they sell around dca uh but um i'm not sure if if any of you have been to the cove bar that are listening to this but it it was one of those things that many years ago was kind of like the best kept secret at, at DCA and in recent years has had a, you know, every time I've gone has had like a 30 minute to an hour wait to get in there. So it's not so much a secret anymore. I'm hoping that they've a- expand the space out uh, and make more room for the Cove bar. But I think that's probably optimistic of me. I, I have a feeling that uh, they're probably going to ruin it. And that does it for the news. Uh, Let's get to the mailbag. Every few days, we like to answer a question from you, the listeners. Uh, You can send your questions to the mailbag by sending them to peter at slashfilm.com. Please mention your name and general geographic location, so in case we mention it on the air. Uh, Today, Julian from Austin, Texas. By the way, do you know Julian, Jacob? I I know a Julian. I don't know if it's the same Julian. Hmm. So hi, Julian. No matter who you are, hello. Yes. well, he asks, he or she, I'm not even sure, uh, what are your top five TV shows from the past five years, including streaming? What about all time? So let, let's let's just try to focus on the top five TV shows of the past five years. Um, we we didn't know how what that meant. So I think we, we sat down on that it means uh, a TV show that had the majority of that show happen in the last five years. It didn't have to start in the last five years. Uh, so let me start off with uh, one of my top picks before we get to you guys, and that would be Westworld. That's a show that uh, launched this past year. Uh, you know, Bad Robot, Jonathan Nolan, Joy Nolan. 
Uh, it's just I'm not a fan of westerns. I am a fan of sci-fi though, and th- this show does everything I loved about Lost and you know the water cooler talk and the theories and the speculation and the questions and uh, you know it's really smart. It says a lot more about you know humanity and technology and slavery and you know all these different things it's the performances are amazing uh i just can't wait to see you know westworld season two and uh it's uh as i mentioned the water cooler around this around the show is just amazing it's something that i feel like is lacking you know i just watched stranger things too and uh i missed being able to have like you know that week in between episodes and be able to like you know talk and speculate and you know, all, all that kind of stuff. Uh, Westworld, for me, I think, is my top show right now. How about you, Jacob? Uh, my top show is one I believe I share with both of you on this list, and that is the Breaking Bad spinoff, Better Call Saul, which isn't just a good Breaking Bad spinoff. It may be one of the best prequels I've ever seen. It avoids so many of the pitfalls you normally associate with prequels. It is well aware that you know where these characters go, and rather than delight in taking you there it makes every single step of watching the the evolution and the creation of Saul Goodman as played by Bob Odenkirk into a painful harrowing experience they have broken this character down before our eyes and we must tear him apart and it if Breaking Bad was an origin story of a bad person embracing his badness uh, Better Call Saul is a story of a good guy being so torn apart that he, that he just turns toward nihilism and evil because it's all he has left and the only thing he feels like he can do. And I find watching it to be a physically painful experience. It gives me panic attacks. It upsets me so much, and I can't stop. It's it's not Breaking Bad in terms of... And that's maybe its greatest trait is that it, it doesn't just try to do Breaking Bad again. It is a very different show, and it works in such different emotions and different feelings and different styles. And... It really is as remarkable as Breaking Bad ever was, and that is such high praise coming from me because I think Breaking Bad may be one of the best shows ever made. Yeah, no, I, I, it's on my list as well, and I, I do think it is better than Breaking Bad, which I think a lot of people would disagree. I don't think there is, you know, the fan base isn't there as it was with Breaking Bad. There isn't the water cooler discussion <laughs> as much as it was with Breaking Bad. But the performances, the characters, everything you said, you know, it's not trying to be Breaking Bad. It's trying to be its own thing. Um I'm almost a little bit worried that now that we're getting close to the timeline of Breaking Bad, that, uh, you know, some of those pitfalls that you were initially worried about might come up. Chris, this was also on your list. What, what, do, you, what do you have to say about Break, uh, Better Call Saul? Right, yeah, not to not to make this like an echo chamber, but I, too, actually think uh, Better Call Saul is better than Breaking Bad. I didn't think Breaking Bad was bad, but I just like this show more. I'm more interested in these characters uh, it's just a remarkable TV series. I definitely think it's the best thing that's on right now. And I also agree that I'm I'm really not in a rush to see it catch up to Breaking Bad. Like, I feel like every season it airs, I always see, like, headlines about people wondering, like, when is Walter White going to show up? And I honestly don't really care. I, if he takes his time getting there, I'm fine with that. I'd rather spend time with these characters. I, I do think it would be interesting if they could, you know, have a season that w- takes place during the timeline of Breaking Bad, the series, and shows it from, you know, not 
it's not showing you Walter White's story. It's showing you his story uh, and what was going on that we didn't see. And then, you know, having the the last and final season being, you know, us catching up with Jimmy, you know, in the Cinnabon, his post Breaking Bad. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, I, I feel like that could be cool or it could be disastrous. What, what do you yeah. think, Jacob? Um, I think that's that's always what I imagine it would be. I mean, why else are we seeing the flash forwards to a uh, Jim McGill uh, post Breaking Bad in black and white, working this sad, pathetic job? And I, this is not my comparison. I, I wish I wish it was. Someone said that they would love to see a season that was essentially Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead, but with Breaking Bad. And if you, those of you don't know that play, that is a play by Tom Stoppard, about Rosencrantz and Guildenstern, two minor characters in Hamlet, and it follows them. On the margins of Hamlet, well, the main characters, the main story of Hamlet happen in the background. and But they, they have their own personal arcs and personal stories, and we, kind of, we start to understand and feel for them in, in ways that we never could have in the original play. And it's a really powerful, funny, dark, self-aware piece of storytelling. And I would love to see a season of Better Call Saul, where Saul is dealing with problems that are so huge and personal. Meanwhile, all the Breaking Bad stuff is happening just in the background in, in ways that... Yeah, that People who haven't seen Breaking Bad may not even notice, and I, I think that's the way to approach that. No, I think that would be the key to not make it too much about Walter White, and it's that's just you know one of the many things that Saul's dealing with. Uh, I, I think that would be a way to do it. Uh, another uh, show on my list is Fargo, which um, was not a show I was looking forward to when it was announced. It sounded honestly, honestly, it sounded like blasphemy. Like it, it sounded, you know, why are they gonna? make a TV show out of this, you know, perfect Coen Brothers film. But uh, Noah Hawley is awesome. I love his style. I love his casting. I love his characters. I love uh, just uh, if you have not seen the first season of, of Fargo, well, first of all, it's, it's, make sure you see Fargo the movie first because there is some connections there. Uh, then go see uh, the first season of Fargo. It, it, it to me, I think it's the best season they've done thus far. But the you know the the seasons that have come after it have been it, have been great. Uh, maybe not as good as that first season with Billy Bob Thornton and uh, and uh, uh, what's his name who is from the Martin Hobbit. Freeman. Martin Freeman. Yes. Uh, Yes, yeah, so that would, that would be my second pick. Uh, Jacob, what is your second pick? Uh, my second pick is one that I'm, I, I hate to say it. I'm almost embarrassed to say it because its fans are so rotten and make me feel so bad for liking the show. But it's Rick and Morty, uh, Adult Swim's animated sci-fi comedy. And I'm gonna, just going to put aside the, the, the rabid, ugly fandom who missed the point of the show entirely. But I think this is such an incredible science fiction show. The comedy is great. It's funny. I laugh at each episode. But if you remove all the jokes, every single story is built on a really sound science fiction concept that I think holds up dramatically. Uh, and then add in jokes, add in characters who, who are not always likable but are interesting and a willingness to get really ugly in the right ways. It's interesting the show is attracting so many ugly fans and emotionally ugly fans and people who are latching on to the character of Rick, this mad scientist who uh, ruins the lives of his entire family and m most of the universe, when the show does not approve of him. The show is a portrait of of ugly, nihilistic, rotten behavior from a truly despicable person who cannot improve himself no matter how hard he tries. And it's a, a show about 
how we hurt people and hurt people in our lives, but told in a really great sci-fi comedy animated setting. And so I, I, it's a weird case where I love this show and I wish more people watched it right. I like that's such a, a, a snobby thing to say, but, he, but the same way I think people rooted for Walter White in Breaking Bad, they shouldn't be rooting for Rick. Uh, but I do think that's a testament to the show's power that it's that it can be misunderstood so astonishingly by so many people. But uh, it's a great show, and if you've been turned off by the fan base, I recommend giving it a shot. Chris, how about you? What's your your next one on your list? Uh, my next one it's, it's a show that's not on anymore, but it ended in the the five year mark, uh, and that would be Mad Men, which is another AMC show. Uh, this is probably like my favorite show of all time. Honestly, it's, um, I, I know a lot of people who actually don't like the show and that's fine. But for me, this is like, <laughs> this is the, the best example of what TV can do. It, every episode is sort of like a short story in a way that they, all the episodes sort of stand on their own while also telling like a bigger picture and just everything from like the casting to the look, to the direction, to the you know, the, the choices the cinematographer makes, it's, it just, it blows me away, uh, from beginning to end. I actually, my wife and I just re- recently restarted watching it from the beginning. And even though I you know already seen it, I was just like, just still blown away at how good it was. I'm tempted to rewatch it because my, my girlfriend Kitra has not seen this show yet. And, uh, it, it is a great show. It's not my list, but it, it's, it's definitely up there. Uh, Penn & Teller Fool Us is the, the third show on my list, and uh, this is not uh, – I think this is the only one uh, on any of our lists that is not a narrative uh, fictional show. This is a uh, – what? I, I'm not sure what you consider it, a, uh, a reality show? No, it's not a reality show. I guess it's a competition show competition reality show uh basically Penn and teller are magicians who are the judges for it uh they have magicians from around the world come on and uh you know present their best illusions and best tricks to try to fool Penn and teller um it, it you know it it's but it's not really about that i i it is cool to see each episode they do have like one person that does fool them and uh but it's it's more about seeing you know some of the best talent in magic come to perform for uh these two magicians and get their reactions to you know how they present their material like the the way that the the methods that they use you know penateller won't spoil you know how they uh figure out how the tricks work but they will use you know uh, very vague language and, and, and words that if you know, if you're a magician, you can, you know, read between the lines and, and, uh, know what they're talking about. Uh, but it's just very enjoyable. This is one of the shows that every week when it, when it's on TV, you know, I can't wait a day to, to watch it. I have to watch it that day. Um, so Penn and Teller fool us. Jacob, what's next on your list? I'm going to go with a very recent show. One that's only had one and a half seasons, roughly. And who knows, it could turn around, but I'm, I was so won over by the first season and was so enchanted by it that I have to put it here. And that is The Good Place, the new uh, show from the creator Michael Schur, who is best known for co-creating Parks and Recreation, a show that would have been on this list, but I feel like it, it started a little too early for the five-year mark, even though it ended within that five-year mark. Uh, in the same way that Parks and Recreation was a, a show that did the impossible and found comedy in and people being nice to each other. 
you know, it's, it's such a difficult thing, the idea of getting big laughs from people being kind and friendly and supportive, which is so much harder people to be mean to each other. And The Good Place is uh, similar, even though, it's, even though it has a very different premise. It's actually a fantasy show about a woman played by, uh, played by Kristen Bell, who wakes up, is informed that she's dead, and she's in the afterlife, and she's made it to The Good Place, overseen by Michael, played by Ted Danson, a sort of angel-like figure who introduces her to the world and to the neighborhood full of other people who have all also made it to the good place. And what we learn in the first episode is that Eleanor is actually a really bad person who did really bad things in real, in real life and does not belong in the good place. And it ends up being this uh, really fun situation comedy built on positive characters, people learning and trying to do better, um, while also being a really effective fantasy show. I'm totally sold on the fantasy world of the show with its bizarre rules and increasingly convoluted mythology. And I like how the world is allowed to be so insane and gonzo because it ultimately boils down to a show about a woman trying to be a better person um, because she's in a world surrounded by better people. And the show has some really big twists that change the show a lot and kind of redefine what it is. But that's how it begins. That's all you should know going in. And it's all first season is on Netflix. Second season just started. You can catch it pretty quickly on Hulu. And I think it could be the next Parks and Rec in the show that like, I just have on all the time and just find comfort in. Hmm. I, I've only watched the pilot of this show, and I was not uh, as taken uh, for it. Uh, but, uh, Chris, what is what is your next choice? Uh, my next choice is the Netflix series BoJack Horseman, the animated series. Um, this was something I didn't watch when it started, and I sort of avoided it. Just because I was like, ah, there's no way that's good. <laughs> but it turns out it's actually very good. And um, as someone who, who's like dealt with like depression his whole life, I've never actually seen a show handle depression as well as this. And the fact that it's a, a cartoon about anthropomorphic animals makes it kind of strange that this is the show that actually gets depression so well. But it does. And it's this very... It's a very dark show. It, you know, it looks like it's going to be light and funny, but it's very dark. But it's still uh, very enjoyable to watch. And Jacob, this is also on your list as well. Yeah, I think the, the two shows that capture depression and mental illness better than any other shows in television are BoJack Horseman, an animated animal comedy, and Legion, an FX superhero show, which almost made my list. But so it's kind of a, so I, I like how the show lures you in with Hollywood satire and funny animals. And then punches you in the gut repeatedly several times a season uh, with episodes that are almost laugh-free but are, are built on character relationships and emotional turns that were kind of woven in there quietly through comedy and you didn't see the setup. So when it comes around to knock you down, it hurts in all the right ways. It's the best Netflix show. It's the best original Netflix show they've ever done. Like All the drama series are not as dramatic. All the comedy series aren't as funny. It is bar none the best thing that Netflix has ever put its name on is an original piece of content. Okay, the last show on my list. I, I really had to think hard what would be the fifth uh, show on my list, and that would be Stranger Things. Um, you know, I really have uh, been sucked into that show. Uh, I, you know, it, it's it's tough because, as you might have heard on this podcast, we did a, a spoiler-filled reaction to the second season 
Uh, I didn't love the second season. You know, I was quite disappointed by it. Um, but I'm I'm still in. I'm still invested. I still want to see what happens in season three. I hope you know that they can uh, do better than what they did in season one, like which what was great in my mind. Um, but uh, I might you know depending on how that goes, I might have to reevaluate its placement on my uh, TV list. But Stranger Things is just you know. So much of uh, what I loved from the movies of my childhood, you know, kids in over their heads in serious danger, uh, the fun, the the I don't know. It, it, it's just I, I've already talked about this at length, I think, on the Stranger Things 2 episodes. So you can hear about it there. Uh, but uh, Stranger Things 2 or Stranger Things rather is the last uh, show on my list. Jacob, what's what's the next one on your list? Uh, last on my list, and I know Chris shares this one as well, so I definitely want to hear his thoughts, is Hannibal, uh, Brian Fuller's uh, remix of sorts of all Thomas Harris's Hannibal Lecter novels, which, of course, were adapted in the movies as well. And this show, nobody watched it, had such low ratings, and but it was produced uh, not by NBC, who aired it, but by another company, so they were able to get away with such insane levels of violence and content, but also such an experimental style that didn't care what people thought about it. Each episode is so artfully made and so tightly composed and so demanding of your attention, time, and patience. It's a show that it's not casual viewing. If you want to put on a a serial killer procedural, you have other choices. Hannibal pretends to be that for about one episode and then veers off to become this genuine art house nightmare horror series that's more effective and artfully made and even more violent than The Walking Dead or any other shows that are popular. And I think Mads Mikkelsen is the best Hannibal Lecter we've ever gotten. I think he is this truly alien performance, whereas uh, Anthony Hopkins is such a uh, raw, evil villain that's so enjoyable in his own interpretation. But I like how Mads Mikkelsen doesn't even seem to recognize what human emotions are. And when he does, he finds them more curious than interest and more curious and interesting than something he can, he can relate with. And I find that so terrifying. Uh, but Chris, uh, and you, I know you like me, you're a big horror guy. Is this the best horror TV show of all time? Because I think it may be. It's definitely, yeah. Uh, I pretty much agree with everything you said, especially uh, Mads Mikkelsen's performance. I was actually, I was very skeptical when they first announced this. Just because I was like, oh, that's a stupid idea. There's there's no reason to make this a TV show. But I watched the first episode out of curiosity, and it just hooked me from uh, beginning to end. It's, it's, it's really unlike anything else that was ever on TV. It's just gorgeous and weird and violent. And it's it's definitely not for everyone, but it 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 it's it makes horror into this like art form that other shows can't even come close to approaching. Like I'm not a big American horror story fan. And every time that pops up every year and people talk about it, I just get really angry because I wish Hannibal had like the same devoted fan base as that show. Cause if it did, it would have lasted a lot longer. But Chris, the the last TV show on your, your list is also a horror TV show. Right. This is another show again, that it makes me angry that this didn't have the following that uh, American horror story has. It's uh, it was a showtime show called Penny dreadful that basically is actually kind of like a uh, lead extraordinary gentleman, the comic book, not, not the movie where it's, it's like historical Gothic figures there, you know, Dracula is involved and 
Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde are involved and stuff like that. And they're all in like Victorian London trying to deal with monsters and stuff like that. And it's this very dark, weird show. And at the center of it is uh, Eva Green, who is, I think, a phenomenal underrated actress who doesn't get as much credit as she deserves. And she's so good in, in this show in particular. And it got canceled after, I think, three seasons. But they're all on Netflix. So I, if you've never seen it, I highly recommend some, you check it out. So I guess the question is, what what TV shows did not make our list that made your list? Uh, you know, send me send me an email, Peter at slashfilm dot com, and uh, we'll 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 read some of the best ones on a future episode. Uh, you can find more of my work at slashfilm and at slashfilm on Twitter. Chris, where can we find you? I'm at slashfilm dot com, and I'm on Twitter at c evangelista four thirteen. And how about you, Jacob? I'm on Slash Film every single day, and I am on Twitter at Jacob S. Hall. You can find this podcast published every weekday on iTunes, Google Play, Overcast, all the popular podcast apps. Please leave us a rating and review on iTunes, especially if you love this show, and uh, we will see you tomorrow.